Hey everybody, this is a special edition episode of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. We are back this week for part two of our World Championships preview to not only recap the events that have happened so far, but also give you predictions for what's to come, as well as, of course, our previews of how we think it might play out. I've got Jojo Gretchel joining me again, and we'll talk about where we are with our prediction contest and reactions to the event so far, including quick reactions to the big anti-doping bombshell that was dropped with Salazar's ban being announced on Monday. So I'm going to bring Jojo in and we'll just jump right into it. Welcome Jojo Greshel back to the show. How are you doing today, Jojo? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, I had to get a quick nap in after sitting on the couch watching people run around in circles. So I'm feeling great now. Yeah, you watched the world competition today and you were, I believe, live updating for Flow Track. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, I'm helping out all this week. Uh, some other people are in Doha, Qatar right now getting uh, interviews from the Mixed Zone. So just helping out, doing some play-by-play updates, doing some recaps. Uh, so it's fun to... It's always fun to be forced to watch the entire meet. <laughs> yeah, right. So will you continue to do that through the weekend? Uh, yes, except for Sunday. I have another another work obligation Sunday. Got it. So if so. people want to find your commentary, where do they go? Um, yeah, so it'll be the live updates article on FlowTrack. You can also follow me on Twitter at JoJo underscore Shea. That's eight ace. <laughs> Sorry, Jojo underscore Shea. That's S H E A. Got it. Um, and I have some updates there, and I'll link out to all the articles I post on there as well. Perfect. I do enjoy your live updates, so I, I I watch it as well. I watch your feed as well while I'm watching the the NBC Gold feed. Okay, so we've got to jump in, and before we get to predictions for the final six events we got to talk about what's been going on so far and we can't talk about what's been going on so far without the massive bombshell that was dropped on monday evening at least u.s time where it was announced officially and finally from usada that alberto salazar and dr brown the nike oregon project doctor have been banned for four years for various doping violations and just to be specific on that, Salazar has is serving his four-year ban for three things. One, administering a, administration of a prohibited method by injecting Steve Magnus with more than the allowable amount of L-carnitine. And then he was also charged with tampering or attempted tampering with the Nike Oregon Project athletes doping control process as well as trafficking or attempted trafficking of testosterone. So what is your reaction of this news? Uh, I was pretty shocked at first, as I think a lot of people were, just because, uh, you know, we've all known about these things for the past couple of years, but not seen any progress or updates on it. Uh, my second immediate reaction was, after reading through the details that you just mentioned, uh, was more shocked that there actually wasn't more to the story. Uh, 
I mean, that's kind of my biggest thing. I kind of figured, I mean, I guess some of the documents were leaked a couple years ago, so we weren't supposed to know those details, but I thought if there was going to be new revelations um, or a sentence handed down, which, you know, the four-year ban is no small beans, um, I thought we'd just have a little more information about, you know, specific athletes being affected. Um, you know, there's just still a lot of questions about how some of the top guys like Mo Farah, Galen Rupp, um, I mean, those are the two have been mentioned a lot, but also, um, you know, yep. he has a whole team of athletes that he's been working with. So I think it just opens a can of worms and there's a lot more to come. Yeah, we'll see. It's interesting. I was also shocked about the sentence, frankly. I, I assumed that eventually, even though we knew that there was some sort of investigation happening behind the scenes, that that eventually Salazar might be exonerated because he has lots of Nike paid lawyers and it's hard to prove some of these things. So I was shocked that he actually got a ban and less shocked that Dr. Brown got a ban because I think some of his transgressions were a little bit easier to prove and document because of the doctor patient records and so forth. Secondly, and I think I most resemble or relate to Scott Fobble from the NAZ elite team had a tweet to the effect of saying to the effect that this punishment feels like when Al Capone got busted for tax evasion, you know, there's, there's a presumption (laughs) that there's a lot more that has been done on the dirty deeds through the years, but the USADA and the powers that be had to rely on the elements that they could prove. And it's clear that they latched onto a few key pieces of the story that they could prove to try to get the end, which is ultimately this ban. And I think a lot of people might read the reports from USADA, which I'm, I've gotten through big chunks of it. I'm still working through the USADA report on the Salazar decision, which is 134 pages, so it's pretty dense. When you read through it, a lot of it sounds kind of innocuous um, in in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, the administering a banned method actually applied to Steve Magnus and his L-carnitine injections. Steve Magnus, while coaching with Oregon Project and still competing at some level, wasn't really competing at the highest levels at that time. So that feels a little bit underwhelming. There is talk about allegations that Galen Rupp was administered or potentially administered testosterone as early as age 15 in a lot of the reports, but none of those things could be proven. And so, you know, he gets busted on a a charge for trafficking or attempted trafficking of testosterone, but not actually for anybody being administered testosterone or using testosterone, even though it seems like perhaps that was happening and there's just no proof. So I think a lot of people will read this and say, oh, well, this isn't that big of a deal. You know, maybe the ban's too extreme. When in reality, in my opinion, the ban's probably not enough and all the things that we can't prove 
are probably significant enough to justify even a larger ban, even though it won't happen, including and including all of the suspicious things that have happened through Mo Farah through the years when he was with the Oregon Project, and I would say up to and including some outsized results that just seem to defy human performance potential, including Hassan's 10K result at this very world championships. So to me, justice was served. I would have liked to have seen a lifetime ban. But it is interesting that, as you say, the revelations in the USADA report aren't as dramatic as maybe we might have expected. Right. Yeah, I just, you know, I really thought if they're finally going to come down and give him a ban, there would have been some new groundbreaking information. And it really just seems like a retread of everything we found out like two years ago. Um, Really what was interesting, and I don't think this was public before, was the fact that the Nike CEO, Mark Parker, was also briefed on some of these emails and knew about these experiments Salazar was doing um, to figure out how much testosterone cream could be applied and then detected um, by tests. And that was interesting because he was doing it on his sons, ostensibly because they were scared of a rival coming up to Galen Rupp (laughs) and rubbing testosterone cream on him uh, to get him to fail a drug test, which seems kind of crazy, but that is the defense that Justin Gatlin used for his uh, positive test. So, um, yeah, that was, I thought that was not a good look for Nike, obviously. No, and not a good look for Salazar. And obviously, as you say, the, they were doing it under the guise of trying to understand what type of sabotage would need to happen for Rupp to get a positive test. But it could have also been used for Salazar to know how much massage cream, in air quotes, i.e. androgel, he could apply to Rupp before it triggered a positive test. Because there were also rumors and allegations from Magnus and others that he would sometimes dismiss the team massage therapist and massage Galen Rupp himself when they were at altitude camps and things like that. But of course, none of those allegations about Rupp himself receiving testosterone could be proven. Right. So it's all very interesting. The one thing to, I guess a couple additional things to note is that there's been generally favorable reaction from all the athletes out there that presumed, at least the non-Nike Oregon Project athletes out there that presumed to believe that Salazar was guilty. And so there seems to be a lot of relief across the board outside of that Oregon Project group, including Jenny Simpson today after the 1500 prelims, who said, you know, get him out and uh, seemed to be happy that justice had been served. So I think there's generally favorable response from the athletes. And then, of course, the reaction for most of the Oregon Project athletes is either I, train, I started training with Oregon Project after these allegations were in effect and or I'm trained by Pete Julian, not Alberto Salazar, who is the assistant coach for Oregon Project. So we're getting those two pat answers from the athletes that are there who are now affected by this. Right. Uh, one, one athlete who had a different opinion, which I thought was interesting uh, to see, was Paula Radcliffe, who was on the BBC talking about it. And who said that, 
she basically accused USADA of coming out with this doping ban against uh, Salazar to make up for the Christian Coleman situation. Um, you should also, also note that Paula Radcliffe is married, is a Nike ambassador, even though she's a retired athlete. Um, she's had a little bit of, um, you know, doping rumors follow her in her career. And she's married to Gary Lau, who is Mo Farah's current coach. Right. So, um, no, I saw the Paula Radcliffe interview, which was on the BBC, and apparently BBC is getting flack for having her even on to talk about it because of her clear, clear conflicts of interest. And it just, she just made no sense. I mean, she rambled, and yes, you could pull out that nugget about them using this as some sort of way to save face after the Christian Coleman case, but. That's just preposterous. This case has been going on for two years. There's no way they could have known at that time the Christian Coleman outcome. From what I understand, reading through the documents, there was supposed to be a decision on this in July, but the arbitration panel asked for an extension, which is why they had an extension and through September. And from what I understand, USADA didn't even have the final decision themselves until Monday. So it so it just seems that that that's pretty preposterous and just goes to show you that Paula Radcliffe should probably keep her mouth shut if she can't be impartial on this topic. <laughs> the other thing to note is that, Al- that Salazar apparently does have the opportunity to appeal this decision. I don't know exactly how that part of the process can play out, but the fight on this apparently is not over, and Nike released a statement that they support Salazar in pursuing his full due process, and of course they made the statement that they do not they do not support those who use performance enhancing drugs. And so for now Nike is supporting their man and this battle is not over. It will somehow go to appeal and you never know in these cases because Nike has deep pockets. Salazar's well connected. It may it may ultimately get overturned, which I think would be devastating for a lot involved. I know there's some people also wondering about Kara Goucher's reaction and given my connection to the Clean Sport Collective podcast where where I co-host episodes with her. People are wondering, you know, when we're going to have an episode perhaps about this topic. And, and I will say that, you know, Kara tweeted today her, her reaction and at least all that what she wants to talk about at this time, which is that basically she's waiting till world, world is finished to comment so that she can allow the focus to be on the athletes competing versus on her reaction. And we are currently in plans to figure out exactly how to talk about this on the clean sport collective podcast. And so that's coming, but uh, we're still sorting through some of those details. And I know Kara is still sorting through exactly what she wants to say. I mean, I can't, and I can't speak for her, but I can try to put myself in her shoes, which is that, I'm sure she's happy that there's a decision, but I'm, I'm sure she also knows that it isn't over and and she still has to be very careful about what she says because Salazar's got a bunch of lawyers and can sue sue people right and left for slander even if right. even if there's no basis to those allegations. So it just it's a topic that has to be treated carefully because of potential legal ramifications and you know, again, while I haven't talk to her about that directly that would be something i would be thinking about if i were in her shoes so it's 
it's complicated. Right. Yeah, I know her uh, her 2016 interview at the Olympic trials marathon resurfaced on Twitter uh, in the last couple of days where, you know, you can tell she wants to like, sp- you know, say everything she has to say, but she she just says, you know, there will be a day. There will be a day. <laughs> uh, so I right. imagine just even though there is, you know, much more to come in appeals process, it still must be a huge like breath of relief that something is coming of all of this. Yep, for sure. All right. Well, let's put that behind us. But, you know, for me as a fan of clean sport, I'm I'm just happy there's an outcome and hope that it's a sign at least that we're taking steps towards a cleaner sport. But let's talk about the championships themselves as it's been fairly epic so far in a lot of different ways. Epic, at least in terms of performances, maybe not in terms of crowds in the in the stadium itself, but <laughs> but it's been nuts. And we're not going to give recaps of the events that have happened so far, but we will kind of talk about some key elements in the, in the major things. But first, we've got to first congratulate you on being in the lead in our prediction contest. Basically, you're, oh. up, you're up by two points, and the current difference comes down to Emma Coburn's silver medal and the women's steeplechase, as I did not have her on the podium, and you had her in that second spot where she ended up. So congrats, oh, wow. congrats to you on I that. It's, Emma. It, it gives you your current lead, so congrats on that. Yeah. I've got some work to do. Yeah, never, never pick against Emma Coburn. Uh, I should have I should have known better. But You picked Courtney, right? Yeah, I picked her for bronze and Kiyang okay. for second, who both of them faded over that final lap. But we'll get to the women's steeple in a second. First, let's start with the, the event that kicked everything off, the women's marathon that was won by Ruth Chepengedich, who was the at least favorite from a PR standpoint going into the race with that 217 PR. She dispatched everyone over that final 5K or so with a strong move to win in 232. But the big story of this event really was the DNFs. And I think the final tally was 41% of the field ended up dropping out. Did you watch, did you watch any of the marathon? I actually did not watch this race. Um, It was, it was kind of sad to be honest, because Chepengedich made a a move pretty early on that, that blew up the field. And then it was a group of five women or so that were running together for a long time. And then and then they stayed together probably through about 18 miles and then gradually one by one started falling off the pack until Chepengedich made her final move when she was with Rose Chilimo. And then that was kind of it. It was pretty anticlimactic, to be honest. It, it, looked, at, it looked oftentimes like they weren't racing, that they were just on a long run together and just kind of trying to survive until until they just you know until they decided to go for it and trying to push that point out as for as far as possible because they just knew the conditions were insane which they were at 105 heat index what do you think about the IWF even choosing Doha because of having to do a marathon at midnight in 105 heat index do you do you think that's ridiculous would you throw shade or do you think hey you know 
every competitor has to face the same conditions. It's a level playing field. It's interesting for competition. Where do you fall? Um, no, I mean, I think it's, it seems like it was pretty dangerous for everybody. Um, it, you know, I don't think, you know, any iota of thought was put into how conditions like this might affect someone running 26.2 miles. Uh, I mean, it's been pretty well covered that the only reason it's even in Qatar is that the former president of the IAAF got paid right. off to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it sucks that, you know, those revelations came out later and there's no way to take take it away from a host country and give it to somebody else. Um but I imagine, I mean, I think it's fine for all the track events. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it doesn't seem like any good way to have a marathon there. <laughs> it just, to me, and I said this on the podcast I released earlier this week, it's ridiculous that you have these mostly not very well-paid athletes who are the product on the road, who are putting their lives at stake for the sake of a bunch of effectively rich bureaucrats that are getting paid to have the event there. That just seems, that just seems completely wrong. And you have someone like Roberta Groner who had a great race, top American in sixth, but she's a full-time nurse who has three kids and, and this is, you know, running is not her livelihood, but her life, you know, she put her life on the line to come and do this. And I'm really happy for her result, but at the same time, it's kind of sad that she's essentially a guinea pig in in this what amounts to a bribery scandal that put her in that position in the first place. But I digress. That was the story of the marathon, I think, just the heat and the dropouts. And it'll be interesting to see how that translates to the men's event, which will be at midnight coming up on Saturday. And we'll predict that in a second. The women's 10K, Tifan Hassan, story of that race. Go ahead. I was going to ask if you thought more men would drop out than women in the marathon. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I would guess it'll be similar, but it'll be interesting to see. You know, why would you would you hypothesize that that more men will drop? Uh, yeah, I would. I would put money on that. I mean, fair enough. I mean, studies show women women are usually tougher in bad conditions and long races. Right. So I would put my money on more women staying in the race, which would be, which would mean a ton of men would drop out of the race. Cause a lot of women drop. <laughs> this out. is true. So but I, I think interesting thing to keep your eye on. I think that could be counterbalanced by the fact that also theoretically, these men have learned something from the women's race, you know, and their federations and their teams, that are supporting them have learned something in terms of how to pace it, how to support the race, all that sort of stuff. So maybe that offsets it a little bit because they're just ostensibly more prepared because they've seen the women face those conditions, but we will see. It'll be interesting. But anyway, going back to the 10 K Sivan Hassan got the gold in impressive fashion. As I, as I said, replying to it, let's, Run tweet, it, it was a truly unbelievable performance as she ran the final 1,500 meters in 3.59, which is probably faster than they'll run in the 1,500-meter final, or could be at least. 
coming up this weekend. You seem pretty excited about Hassan's result. To me, I just got depressed. What was your take? <laughs> what was your takes? Yeah, I mean, I understand that. I mean, sure. Yeah, so it happened right before the Salazar bomb dropped. But even before that, there's sort of a cloud of suspicion around NOP athletes, particularly the ones who are mentored by Salazar. So, I mean, especially in a year when she's broken not one but two distance world records. Uh, I mean, the only other person to do that on the track recently is Dababa, who also uh, has, you know, doping rumors swirling around her. So there's suspicion. Uh, But, I mean, what can you do as a fan of the sport? Uh, She's never failed a test. (laughs) At this point, the bomb hadn't dropped. So, yeah, I'm going to be excited about it. I mean, uh, how crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's crazy. I just get depressed and want to throw up. But, uh, but I mean, to me, the you know, I, to me, it kind of comes down to if it's too good to be true, it probably is. To run a 359 at the end of a 10K in warm conditions is just otherworldly. To do it on the backs of winning the Diamond League in the 1500 and the 5K, running a 105 earlier this year in the half. I mean, it's just, I'm sorry, video game times. It's it's not possible. And then in my opinion, and then you have the association with the, the Oregon project that to me puts a cloud of suspicion. I, I just, as a fan, I can't get excited about it. She is not one that I root for. I will say though, with this race, I was really impressed with Gide young athlete. I mean, she knew exactly what she had to do to try to win, which was go from about a mile out and make it hard for Hassan. And as I predicted, yeah, I thought, okay, okay, but like, how can you not support Hassan? Okay, granted, I know the cells are thinking <laughs> out now, but Gide, I think her 1500 PR heading into this is like a 411, and she runs like a, either a 402 or a 403 final 1500. How is that? <laughs> I'm not, not, I'm not saying. This world? I'm I mean, not, at that point, you just have to look at everyone and be like, I can't even watch this, right? It's true. I'm not saying that I think Gide is clean. I think there's certainly suspicions that should surround her result as well. But I can at least get excited about the move she made. And it did look like she was human at the end versus Hassan, who did not. I mean, but honestly, I mean, all of these leaders or all of these top East Africans I'm suspicious of just because of the the lack of testing that really happens in those countries the, the availability of epo which has been shown by undercover journalists so yeah they're all potentially suspicious but yeah you're right i mean it it honestly it makes me, it does make me sick i'm just saying the more intriguing part of this yeah. was were the tactics and not necessarily the final mile of hassan I guess I guess when I am watching it, uh, I mean, as a fan of, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to come off sounding bad. I'm not a fan of like doping, obviously, <laughs> and they're like watching this race before the allegations came out. And Hassan is still also that report is from like, you know, the the emails and stuff are from like 2015, which is before she joined the team, and she's never failed a test. So, you know, I don't know. We don't, we don't really know, don't really but know. it's fun. It's fun to see someone do something that you don't think is possible. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, I'm coming off sounding really it's okay. bad. You support drug cheats. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> it was just, it was exciting to watch. But yes, there's part of you where it's like, whoa, is that too crazy? And maybe it is uh, too crazy. Yes, it seemed. It's just wild to me that like she ran at, I mean, it was sort of like when she ran that 5K and closed in like two flat. It's like not most people can't even run that on its own. Oh, I know. Exactly. So I'm really curious to see what she's going to do in the 1500 final. Yes, I roll for me, but uh, I get that you're excited. We're gonna, you're gonna suspend disbelief and just hope for the best. And I can under, I can understand yeah, that it's approach. Like watching games. All right, let's talk about perhaps the most exciting meet, race of the meet so far, which was the men's 5K. I think the men's 5K made a case for the IAAF to bring the 5K back to the Diamond Leagues, which they announced were coming out of the program for next year earlier this year, but this 5K was positively insane. There are clouds of suspicion over it as well, but there was almost what I predicted was the Ethiopian sweep. We were one spot away from that happening. Mukhtar Idris ended up defending his title, even though he had some some less than stellar results earlier this year versus his countrymen. Geberwet didn't even choose to race as he decided to focus only on the 10K, so they could have even had another athlete in the mix. But to me, this race was made by the Ethiopian team tactics. I mean, clearly they had decided to set a hard pace from the beginning to try to put pressure on the Norwegian Norwegian trio of brothers, including Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who were clearly also working together and trying to tee things up for Jakob to close hard at the end and he quite nearly did it but faded over the over the home stretch to end up with Ethiopians in one two and then Mohamed coming back from the from the depths at the end to snag the third spot the Bowerman Track Club Canadian athlete who I think everybody was excited to see get on the podium I think this was maybe the most exciting race of well the 800 was pretty cool, but yeah, five no, was. was really it was fun. That was really crazy to watch, and you don't get that all the time from the the longer races. But yeah, what a what a statement against IAAF pulling it from the Diamond League. <laughs> right, right. Got to give credit to Paul Chilimo for sticking his nose in it, in spite of maybe not being on the same form that he's had before to win medals. But he stuck his nose in it, went for it. Ended up fading to I think seventh, but it was a it was a good day for racing in the men's five k. I would highly encourage you if you haven't watched to go back and find a at least a a snippet of the last couple of laps on NBC and watch that. Now let's go to the women's steeple, where you did correctly pick one two, Chipko, which I which who I also had winning, and then Coburn for second. This race played out more or less as expected with Chepkowicz going way off the front and essentially having the win well in hand with three or four laps to go. So the race was on for second, and I think Emma played it absolutely perfectly. She put in a strong drive from about 1,000 meters out to put everybody else away and win in second, basically going away from that chase pack. What did you think of Emma's race? 
Yeah, I think she was really smart. Uh, I mean, Beatrice went out basically at su- what would be suicide pace for everybody else. Uh, so it didn't make sense to go with her, but of the rest of the field, uh, I mean, it's interesting because the other Kenyans have also run very fast, but they really weren't in it, which surprised me a lot. Um, so, I mean, Emma, yeah, Emma really read the field well. I mean, she's she's such a great competitor, and she's so consistent. It took 9.02 to make the podium, which is a PR for her. Yep. Um, but when you look at some of the PRs of the other Kenyans, uh, you know, if you line them up like they would, they would should win but uh it all comes down to the day so well yeah that was cool Kiang, i think she did a lot of work in that chase back and emma did a good job just kind of settling in until it was time to make her move i was frustrated personally watching courtney frericks because i felt like she while she was right on the back of that chase back she didn't seem to be putting herself in good position she looked uncomfortable the whole time. She was kind of yo-yoing. She, instead of chasing and following Emma, who's very clean over the hurdles and the water jumps, she was she was kind of following other random athletes that happened to be cycling in front of her, which I think often caused her to have to do or spend a little more energy going over those barriers because some of those athletes aren't as clean as Emma is over the over the barriers and the jumps. And so... I felt like she just kind of took herself out of it with her tactics and then, of course, couldn't hang when Emma picked it up at the end. So it was, it was a bit frustrating to see her fade to a 9-11 after finishing the year with a 9 flat in what is still now the American record. So we don't know. I don't know. I didn't actually see an interview from Courtney afterwards. I, I wonder if she's similarly frustrated or if there were other reasons for her just not getting comfortable in that race. Yeah, that's a good question actually haven't um i haven't watched an interview with her either um but you know i she hadn't run faster than 909 this year um so i guess you know i guess that's just the shape she was in you're only as good as your last result right (laughs) but either way emma now has three global championship medals completing her collection a gold from world champs last time, a bronze from the Olympics, and now another silver from the world champs. So she's got the full trio. Next, let's talk about the women's 800, where you had the shocking upset from a no-name Ugandan athlete passing Ajay Wilson down the home stretch in what ended up just, in my eyes, being a pretty bizarre finish. Raven Rogers ended up passing her as well to get second. So we did have two Americans on the podium. Unfortunately, Hannah Green was a, had issues with a hamstring and didn't make it to the final. Who She was my pick to help the U.S. sweep the podium. I wish, I wish we would have had that shot. But the story here really is what happened to Ajay Wilson. It seemed to me like she wasn't prepared to have somebody on her shoulder at that point in the race and then just kind of lost focus and quit over the final 20 meters or so. Yeah, I agree. I felt the same way. Um, I mean, you know, mentally going into it, she knows she's the big favorite. She hasn't lost to a non-DSD athlete in over two years. Um, All the races she's done this year, she's been able to do the exact same 
<coughs> exact same strategy and no one is able to hang with her in that last straight. So, you know, that the Ugandan athlete has the race of her life and is right on her shoulder. Uh, and I think it just took her by surprise so much that she just mentally crumbled. And then, I mean, Raven, Raven did what we've seen her do a lot before, uh, pulled a, I mean, she pulled a 13 something second last hundred out of her legs. Uh, I mean, that reminded me of like her four by four split that one year where they were like behind USC and they won the, won the team title at NCAAs, but we we have seen those kind of like late stage heroics from Raven before, so that was cool to see because I don't think we've really seen a big big performance like that yeah. from her as a professional yet. But uh, you know, I think that must have been bittersweet for her too because I think she would have rather gotten right. silver behind Ajay, and um, so yeah, that was kind of tough to watch. That was tough to watch. It was as an American, but I will say Audrey Wilson, who has been basically flawless in all of her races, including those against Caster Semeny and others. She's, she always is that athlete who runs to her potential. It seems like every single time, no matter what happens and you know, rarely has a bad day. Well, she had a bad day in right. finals of the world champs. She still ended up on the podium with the bronze medal. And if that's a bad day, then that's still a pretty good yeah. day. And what a <laughs> for, for a bad what a day. lesson to get the year before the Olympic Games. So exactly, yeah. exactly. So kudos to the Americans on two three there. Then we go to the men's eight hundred, which was was absolute fireworks with Brazier getting the gold and as expected in an American record. He 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 beat the, the more than thirty year old record, I believe, held by Johnny Gray. Yeah, 34 years. Yeah, so pretty impressive. He got lucky in a sense that there was a – was it the Chilean athlete that – or another athlete oh, that went oh, out Puerto hard? Rico. Puerto Rican West athlete, yeah, who went out hard, basically led the race and, and teed everything up perfectly for Brazier to take, to take the lead at the beginning of the final lap and basically hold everybody off in dominating fashion for the American record in a 142 and change. I mean, what can you say? Brazier got it done. Really impressive. Yeah. And we should mention, uh, you know, he's still pr- a pretty young guy. I think he's maybe 22. Uh, he's never even made a world final before. So I know coming into this, we see him as the favorite uh, especially because there's certain athletes who weren't there. Emmanuel Career, you know, was in a car accident earlier this year. Nigel Amos was hurt, couldn't run. So he kind of became, he was the favorite, then he like really became the favorite. Um, but winning a Diamond League race, winning the Diamond League final, final is so different than running well through three rounds and winning the final at a world championships or Olympic games. And we've seen bad tactics from him before. Like that's more, I really, you know, I wanted to see him win. And then there's part of me that's like, Oh, I really, I really hope he doesn't do, you know, what we've seen him do before and and mess this up. Uh, Because also you got to think what's weighing on him too, is that, you know, the night before the race, the, bomb about Alberto Salazar and I know Pete dropped. So while he actually works with Pete Julian, not directly with Salazar, you have to think that that's on those athletes' minds. Uh, And we saw 
Clayton Murphy, his teammate at NOP, run terribly, get last in the final, run 147, you know, way out from everybody else, uh, which I have to think it's not just a result of having a bad day physically. It also, you know, this this thing, no matter what they say in the mix zone about being in a <laughs> bubble and not paying attention, it happens. And I don't know how you just block that out of yeah. your mentality totally. So, uh, yeah, it was great to see him rise to the occasion and yeah, do it. Not easy it to cool. deliver as the favorite. So he did, and in a big way, American record fashion. All right, so that's... Especially the day before when the path looked so easy for Ajay Wilson to get gold, and she crumbled in a way that we've never seen her do before. So, yeah. Yeah. It's nice to live in a world where the U.S. walks away with three medals in the 800 meter. That's that's in some ways a new world order because it wasn't that long ago where we were struggling to get medals. So let's let's get get ahead to the final six events and get to predicting we've got one event happening one final then again we'll do this in the order of finals we've got one final on friday and then three on saturday including well i should say saturday slash sunday including the marathon which will be happening over saturday and sunday and then two finals on sunday we'll go to the first one you watched the prelims yesterday, so in some ways it's good that we've got some prelims now. we got some more information than we did when we were making our first round of picks. The men's steeple, the prelims were yesterday. We've got our final set. This one is interesting, I think, because you've got the defending champion, Conceslas Capruto, who this year hasn't looked that strong, but is the defending champion and is, if he's healthy, probably the prohibitive favorite in any steeple, but we don't know exactly what we're getting. Although he did look strong in the prelims. And then of course you've got Albacali, the Moroccan who's always up there and who has done really well in the diamond leagues this year. And then a couple of Ethiopian athletes that have, that have stormed on the scene that I think will be in Knicks as well, including Getnet Whale who won his prelim, the first prelim, yesterday. So we've got Morocco versus Kenya versus Ethiopia, essentially at the, at the front of this race. What do you think? How is this one going to go down? Uh, I would not bet against Conceslas Capruto. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know much about him this season coming into the championship, but he really looks like his old self again. Uh, I also think Bacali has a great record at championship events and he is going to be, I, I think those are going to be our top two. Um, as for third, third's hard. Cause I want to say Hillary Borg could be up there. Um, I don't think that's impossible. Yeah, I'm going to say Hillary Bohr. I mean, obviously, a lot of names you mentioned, you know, Getnet Wale from Ethiopia, um, Abraham Kibiwat from Kenya. You know, a lot of guys have run 805. Hillary Bohr has run 808 this year. And, um, you know, he trains with the the U.S. Army program. So they have a great history recently. Um, I'm going to pick him for number three. 
Interesting. That will hopefully open up the door for me to get some points back. (laughs) (laughs) So I I agree with your assessment on Capruto. I wouldn't bet against him defending champion. He also has a knack. And to me, this is always suspicious when an athlete either drops out of race or doesn't start in races or sort of seems to be having injury issues early in the season and then they then they somehow come back strong because it just seems to me like this is a guy who's avoiding drug tests but the cynic in me is talking there either way he usually is on form when it counts even though he didn't show up very well at the diamond league final so that's sort of an interesting thing to note and yeah you know how will that impact this race we'll see but i think it's hard to bet against him so i'm going with caputo for the defending to defend his title I'm going to go with Wale for second, the Ethiopian, because he beat El Bacali at the Diamond League final, maybe slightly on better form. And then I'm going to go with El Bacali for third to round out the podium. My problem with Hillary Bohr, and I would love to see him get on the podium, he always seems to screw up his tactics and will end up fading late in these races. So... Hopefully that doesn't happen. I would love to see him on the podium, but I'm going to predict that we get more of the same from him and that he can't sneak into that third spot. So Caputo getting at Wally for me and then Obakali. So there you go. But I think the, the big thing to watch there is, you know, who's going to take the initiative with the pace and perhaps Will you have some team tactics in play here? Because you've got, you know, a couple of Ethiopians at the front. You'll have a couple of Kenyans at the front. I mean, even even the Oregon, uh, sorry, the the U.S. Army group has two athletes in this race with Stanley Kabene and Hillary Bohr. Kabene could theoretically go to do some work at the front to help Bohr out if that's something that they thought would be helpful. So, so it'll be interesting to see who leads, and I think that may also affect how this thing plays out. Let's go next to the next final, which will be happening earlier on Saturday, the Women's 1500. Fortunately, now we know Hassan has decided to race the 15, apparently against Alberto's wishes, who before he was suspended was, it alleged, people were saying that he wanted Hassan to do the 5K, but Hassan herself wanted to do the 15. Ultimately, she chose the 15, and will be competing, assuming she makes it through the semifinals, will be competing there on Saturday. Can anybody beat Hassan? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think this is interesting because I'm assuming the reason Salazar wanted her to do do the 5K instead is because, you know, when you can run a sub-2, 800 at the end of a 5K, you're basically going to win the race. Uh, And a 1,500... There's not as much room for that. Uh, you know, everyone's pretty fast. I, she is literally the world record holder. Um, <laughs> so she's faster in the mile. than anyone. In the mile. In the, yeah, in the mile. Uh, but uh, I think there's more room for air in a shorter race. So I think for possible. sure, Cer- certainly if yeah. there, there are tactics involved instead of a paced a paced affair is different. And she doesn't, she doesn't like to go out and lead she kind of hangs out and waits to she times her kick so maybe she gets maybe she gets stuck in traffic uh maybe she trips and falls 
that happens in 1500 races. I feel like there's a lot of things that could happen. Maybe the 10K took more out of her than than she thought. That I don't think so. I think she. <laughs> I think if she wanted to, she could run the 5K and the 1500 final in the same day and probably win all three. Personally, <laughs> <laughs> I know you were calling for that on Twitter. Well, I know. Since I had all these like Safan jokes I was going to make all week, and now it seems totally inappropriate. So, <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> So, so since I I made you pick first on the men's steeple, I'll go first on this women's 15. I don't think Hassan's going to lose. I mean, the way she dispatched everybody in the Diamond League final just shows that no matter the tactics, as long as she doesn't trip or, you know, or something like that happened, then I think she's the one to beat. So I'm going to Hassan number one. We don't know exactly what we're getting from my number two pick because she hasn't raced a lot recently as as her Bowerman Track Club group has not done. But I'm going Houlihan for her first global championship medal in silver with a with yeah. a with a stellar Houlihan kick to follow Hassan and then I like Faith Kipgigon, the young Kenyan athlete, for third. Although I do think the second and third spots are really up in the air and there's a whole host of women that could get there, including Laura Muir, including Jenny Simpson and others. So it's going to be interesting. I'm less confident about second and third spots, but I do, but I do think Houlihan's going to get that first global championship medal. What shape, what say you? Yeah. Well, Faith Kipyagon is an interesting pick because she, I mean, obviously she has a great, history of championship running olympic champion defending world champion but she's barely raced this yep. year she's only raced twice once was in june 359 to win pre uh the other time was in kenya in september so very recently running at 403 and she won that um I feel like she's kind of, I mean, she should come in as the favorite. The fact that she hasn't raced all year is a little suspect. Um, You know, in regards, I haven't seen any, maybe I missed a report about her health or an injury or something. Um, But also, I mean, that could be tactical because the championships are so late this year. um, And so maybe she didn't want to race all summer. I mean, doesn't that seem weird that she only raced twice this entire year? Are we getting the same Kipyagon that won Worlds two years ago? I have no idea. Well, I mean, I mean, do you, do you do you want me to do you want me to roll out conspiracy theories? I I don't know. I mean, to me, yeah, she's only raced twice, but she's won both races. So, you know, it would say to me that whatever her reasons are, she's been on form when she has raced. So why am I to doubt her now? I think Hassan's on better form and. Houlihan, we don't know. She hasn't raced a lot either. So, I mean, would we say the same thing about her? Maybe you would. I won't because I know that's a part of their tactics or the the Schumacher system is, especially with a late world champs, to race less and focus on just getting to altitude and do anything. So who knows? It's it's. I'm not going to speculate. All I know is that she has won two races and she's got championship experience right. and has done well at those. So why would I doubt her? I just but you can. I just think it's you interesting. Can. What, would, um, what would you say? Because I feel like going into Worlds, 
two years ago, you know, Safan, I mean, Safan is obviously on a different level this year. Uh, so it's hard to pick against her. But I think if anyone could beat her, it would be Faith Kipugan. I think I'm going to pick her for silver. Part of me is like, nope. don't pick her because she hasn't raced. But she's still run well. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to go Kipugan. Uh, for first? For second. I don't think anyone's going to beat Safan. Second. And then I'm going to go Houlihan okay. for bronze because I just want an American on the podium. Okay. All right. So we have the same same three, different order. Yeah. I mean, in some alternate universe, Houlihan and Simpson both make the podium. Uh, I but, don't. I mean, I think that's I think that's possible. It is. Yeah. That would be huge, but... Uh, and I even thought about picking that, but then my, but then my reality, or my realistic side set in, and said, "No, there's no way we'd get two Americans on the 1500 podium." <laughs> so I went to a more rational space. But anyway, all right. So I mean, either way, those are th- I think those are the three best athletes in the race at the moment. Laura Muir could be in that conversation, but just hasn't been on form this year. So she hasn't proven that she's there either. But so anyway, she would probably be my fourth placed uh, choice if I had to pick a fourth. All right, let's go to the women's 5K. Got to watch the prelims earlier today. Um, this one's pretty fascinating because you don't have a son in it. And you don't have some other athletes that, you know, could dominate this race. So it's a little more open than I expected before I started doing my homework on it. For this one, in my opinion, and you may think about this differently, but in my opinion, this is Constance Klosterhofen versus the Kenyan athletes in the race, particularly Helen O'Beary. And her countrywoman, Kip Kamboy, who doesn't have the same pedigree and I think is probably your, you know, I think you probably look at her more of as a third and fourth place finisher. But to me, this one comes down to Obiri versus Klosterhofen. And maybe that's why Hassan chose the 15, because she wanted to give her teammate the opportunity to win a race in the 5K. Yeah, I was thinking that too. So I'll go first in this one. My picks would be Klosterhofen for the win because she she beat Obiri earlier in the year. And Obiri for second, she looked solid enough in the 10K, but just didn't quite have that close. And then Kip Kamboy, her countrywoman for third. That's what I'm doing, one, two, three. Okay, so say your order again. Klosterhofen for the gold. Helen O'Beary for silver and the Kenyan Kipkin boy for third. So it would be, it would be pretty historic. I think for Germany, if Klosterhofen were to actually win this race. Uh, I mean, I don't know stats off the top of my head, but I would imagine it's probably one of their first distance medals. Um, so that potentially could be really big. Um, 
I think you didn't mention the Ethiopian, did you? I didn't. I didn't. Because as I looked at her stuff, I just, I couldn't get that excited about her as a threat, but I, I could be wrong. So we should mention that in the heats today, uh, Tesse Gemichu of Ethiopia and Klosterhofen, it basically, basically came down to a sprint between the two of them. And they finished, they both finished in the same time. Gemichu was given the narrow heat win. Um, so I think by virtue of that, you have to include her as a potential metal threat. If well, we're talking about Klosterhofen winning the whole thing. Maybe, but they ran 15.01, and you know, this final I think will be much, much faster. And if you look at Gemichu's PR, it's not anywhere near Klosterhofen. So that's why I discounted her a little bit. I'm not that excited about the heat win because of the time. We also have to mention that Chris Schweitzer, the U.S. athlete from the Bowman Track Club, ran a massive PR yeah, to, to get second in the other heat. In 1452, just behind Helen O'Beary. So, by your logic, Carissa Schweitzer should be in the conversation. Mm, that's not exactly my logic. <laughs> it kind of was. Yeah. It kind of was. <laughs> so, anyway, but with all of your logic, maybe not all of your logic, what is your logic? How do you think? I, I gave you my three. How do you think this will go? Honestly, didn't know anything about Gemichu, so I'm looking her up now. Um, I just feel, I mean, sure. Like, you know, X number of athletes are going to make it in and maybe you realize you're in the top five, so you don't need to go all out. But, um, I just thought that that performance makes her worthy of consideration. Um, I mean, I can see this. (laughs) Well, I'm going to pick Helen to win. He's definitely the O'Beary favorite. for the win. I'm going to go O'Beary, Klosterhofen, Kipkin Boy. All right. Another event where we have the same three, but different order. Definitely opportunity for me to get my points back. I'm excited about that. Any final thoughts on the 5K before we go to the men's marathon, which will be happening on midnight at midnight on Saturday night? Um, I think it'll be fun. Yeah, we mentioned Chris Schweizer, fourteen fifty-two, her first time under fifteen minutes. Um, you know, I don't expect her to be up there with the leaders when they go, but it'll be fun to see how she does in her first global championship. Good luck, Carissa. And good yeah, luck, she, and good luck to El Perrier too. Yes, who made it in on time. It'll be interesting to see Carissa's tactics. I would I would love to see her go for broke and just be aggressive with this one. It seems like to me she has nothing to lose, so why not? Why not just go with that front group and hang on for dear life as long as you can? Okay, let's go to the men's marathon. This one was tough for me because one thing I realized, and I even mentioned it, and so I should be kicking myself. I should be kicking myself. I even mentioned it when we talked about the women's is that there may be some people DNFing, not necessarily because of the heat, but because they are planning to do other fall races like New York. Rudy Aga being one of those athletes who dropped out pretty early in the race, who is also doing New York. I picked her to win, which seems kind of silly now because perhaps she was 
just showing up here to represent for her country, but had no plans to finish because she's going to go try to win a major coming up in November. So as I reflected on that, I definitely put that into my thought process for this men's race. To me, this race is pretty straightforward. It kind of comes down to the Kenyans versus the Ethiopians. You may have a surprise in in the Ugandan athlete. Chibrodic, who has been on a, a world champs podium before, but that's been a while. But I think for the most part, the top athletes are from Kenya and Ethiopia. And you've got some interesting names. You've got Karui, who has the, who is the defending champion. You've got Garamu, who from Ethiopia, who was second to Kipchoge in London, who ran a 202 and has the fastest PR in this group. You've also got Shura Katata, who has done well in recent majors, kind of made the race in New York last year where he got second, but was ultimately beat by another one of his countrymen who's in this race, which is Lisa DeCisa, who won New York and then got second in Boston. Then you got Wazahun, the other Ethiopian who finished third in London behind Kipchoge. So you've got some street cred from these top men. But part of my question, because Katata and DeCisa are both doing New York, is will they make a business decision and drop out of this race early so that they can go put everything into New York? And in DeCisa's case, that means putting everything into defending his title at New York, which seemed to me would take priority because it's got a lot bigger payday associated with it than winning world champs. What do you think about this one? Um, I think Karui is the major favorite to defend his title. I'm going to pick him for first, for sure. Uh, from here, it gets a little wishy-washy. Uh, you know, I agree. I think the guys who are signed up for fall marathons obviously have more incentive to maybe drop out and dedicate themselves fully to getting that major payday later on. Um, I also think, you know, not only does the marathon always give us some surprises, the fact that the conditions are so bad means these things get kind of unpredictable. So I kind of want to make a crazy pick for the rest of the medal positions. Um, I'm going to go with the Ethiopian record holder, Girimu, for my silver medal prediction. And then for that's not, third place, that's, that's not exactly crazy, I by know, the way, but go ahead. Place, but go ahead. Yeah, third place will be crazy. Uh, okay. I'm going to pick Callum Hawkins of Great Britain. Who ah. he was so he was fourth at Worlds in 2017, and he went kind of viral last year for collapsing while leading the Commonwealth Games marathon. So, uh, I think he yep. learned his lesson from that, he's prepared and he's ready to get on the podium in 2019. It's an interesting pick. I, I actually thought about Hawkins because of his performance. I remember last time at Worlds, I picked him as kind of a wild card to maybe make a podium and he was just off. Problem I have with Colin Hawkins is that once you have a heat event like he had at the Commonwealth Games where he basically passed out and collapsed on the course and didn't finish, you're more susceptible to heat events like that. And yeah, maybe you learn something, but also your body actually is more likely to go into some sort of heat sickness since you've had that experience. And so I think that's going to be, make it tough for him. 
So what I'm doing, I'm taking. I took Katata and Decisa off my list because I'm going to assume that they're focused on New York. I went with Karui and Garamu for one two, just like you. And then because I just couldn't figure out who might be next, I just went by the next fastest PR in the field, which is the other Ethiopian Wazahun who finished third at London with a two hundred three and change PR. So I'm going with him for third. So Karui, Garamu, Wazahun to finish the podium out. But as we said earlier, the thing to watch here is probably more what that DNF is DNF percentage is versus. You know, I'm not sure that we'll see a ton of fireworks in the race itself because it's just hard to to really have any tactics in the, these conditions. Who is your prediction for top American? Top American, you know, I didn't even really think about it. Let's see, who are who are I don't even know. I couldn't even name all three up top of my head. If yeah, I'm actually if made me, the, I just I looked at it. Right I looked at it briefly, I and I thought, oh, those guys have no chance. So looking at it now, so it's Andrew Epperson, Elkina Cabet, and then Ahmed Osman, who I've never heard of. I would go with Cabet because of even though his PR is is a little bit slower than Epperson's. Cabet is Kenyan-born and trains with Scott Simmons' group, who always seems to show up present and correct for these things. So I'm going to pick Cabet. Yeah, I have a hard time not picking Cabet because he's the only one I'm familiar with. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so we'll see. Gunner, but really, power, someone crazy is going to get top six. Maybe even top three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, let's go. Let's fast forward to the final day's events. We've got the men's 15 and the men's 10K, both of which should have pretty good fireworks. And the men's 15, the big question is, can anybody beat Timothy Churyat, who has seemed to be unbeatable? within the last, what, three years or so, except for occasionally his his training partner, Managoy, has been able to to knock him off the top spot, but Managoy has been injured this year and not competing at his highest level. So it looks like this is Chiriot's to lose. Would you agree? Yes, for sure. Okay, so if it's his to lose, then who can finish out the podium. Obviously, Jakob Ingebrigtsen will be back, coming back around to compete in the 15 and I think has to be one of the medal favorites. He finished actually second to Chiriot in the the mile. Or the, I don't know, it was a 15 or a mile that I saw at Monaco. So he, he, he proved in that race to be a tough racer and also fearless in that he took the lead at one point and tried to push the pace, but then ultimately got passed at the end, as you might expect, but Chiriot. So Ingebrigtsen's another name that's got to be there, and then you've got to ask yourself if either the Americans, including Centrowitz, can can get back to his Rio gold medal winning ways and get back on a podium for a 15. We don't know exactly what his form is from a 1500 standpoint, but we do know that he recently ran 13 flat in the 5K as he was helping pace his teammate, Woody Kincaid to get a an Olympic standard recently in Portland, so we know he's fit. What do you think? How's this one gonna go? Yeah, um, 
this race is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, you do have more of a favorite in Chiriot, although I feel like compared to the women's race, there is a little more room for that to be mixed up a little bit. Um, you know, looking at the Diamond League final, uh, Jacob and Philip, the Ingebrigtsen brothers, went 2-3 behind Chiriot. So there is certainly a chance for that to happen. Um, also, Manangoy might not be in the race, but his little brother George is in the race, who has medaled at the world junior level, has already run 331. I think he's still like 20 years old. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see something crazy from him. Um, this is hard to predict. I honestly think it's kind of hard to see an American uh, meddling. I don't think... I don't know if we're really going to see Centro Magic again this year. And I actually think that Craig Engels is probably going to be the top American. Um, he's obviously the U.S. champion. And I think has just, you know, he's run faster this year. Uh, just seems more fit. So. So what do you got? Um, so I'm going to go Chariot for first. <laughs> I'm looking at the descending order list for like the <laughs> fastest times this year. And I'm like, don't just pick the top <laughs> three times. <laughs> so I'm going to go. I'm going to go Chiriot. I think Jacob Ingebrigtsen will get silver. And then I think George Manningoy will get third. All right. Interesting. That's my three. Little Manningoy is going to make the podium. The, the, the brother, the kid brother. Interesting. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there will be an American on the podium, and I don't think it'll be Craig Ingalls. So I'm going Chiriot for the win. I don't think anyone can take him down. I think he'll win going away, which I think actually plays to the advantage of Matthew Centrowitz, who is a master tactician. I think he made a mistake tactically at USA's, which cost him the first place spot there to Ingalls. But I'm going to say he learned from that. He showed fitness running that 13 flat in the 5K recently. So I'm going to say Centro is on his game and gets second, takes home silver. And then I'm going to pick Jakob Ingebrigtsen to round out the podium in third. But I'm going to say that that 5K wow. took a little more out of Ingebrigtsen than maybe, than, maybe, uh, than maybe he thought. So it takes a little edge off of his kick here, and Centro squeezes by for the, for the silver. So... So you think Centro ran 13-minute 5K, he's going to medal at Worlds? Well, I just think it shows that he's fit and healthy. You know, if he didn't have that result, then I would wonder because he hasn't raced in a while right. and he had been dealing with some injury issues. And so if he hadn't raced, I'd, I'd kind of not know exactly where he was. But, you know, this obviously getting 13, running 13 flat in a 5K doesn't mean you can medal in the 15, but it does show that he's healthy and at least his aerobic fitness is strong, and we know he has a strong kick. So I'm just thinking that he put, finally puts it all together again and ends up in that silver spot. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think Mo Ahmed meddling in the 5K is also a huge testament to the yeah. Bowerman guys, who obviously we saw that 5K time trial. Uh, Woody Kincaid improving so much. 
Um, Lopez, I mean, I know we're about to talk about the 10K, but I think he's going to be a big middle threat in the 10K. Um, Yeah, I mean, smart money, good for Centro (laughs) for moving over to Bowerman. I bet he's happy. He doesn't have to deal with all these questions now about people here. Oh, he'll get questions. He'll get questions, but it's it's definitely not yeah. the same. <laughs> At least his coach can still give him race strategy tips. So let's talk about speaking of Lopez and the and the ten K, let's talk about that. Obviously you've got Lamong, the American who would easily be, I think, the top American who had just showed his form running that 5K as well, where he ran 13 fat with 13 flat with Centro in that race in Portland. But to me, the the men's 10K, the storyline is Joshua Cheptegi, who finished second to Mo Farah in the last World Champs, the Ugandan versus Ethiopians. And you have Geberwet, Kajelka, and Borrega, potentially, if he comes back for the 10. And so I think you might also see some team tactics from the Ethiopians and the men's 10K to give them the best chance to win this one as well, to try to, to, try to burn the legs off of Chipchegi, who, by the way, won the 5K Diamond League going away from some of those same Ethiopians. So to me, that's the battle for this one, Ethiopia versus Joshua Chipchegi. Do you see it differently? Uh, I think that's fair. All right. So if that's fair, then I'm going to make my picks and then you can make yours. I'm going Chip Teggy for the win. I think he has proven to be on form running, I think it was 12.52 in the Diamond League final to win. And while I think the Ethiopians will throw everything at him, I think he'll survive and finish strong at the end to get the win. I'm going with Gebruet for second. I thought he would win the 5K, but he didn't even show up for us. Unfortunately, you picked him, I think, as well. But I do think he comes back to win this 10K, ready and rested. And then going Kajelka for third. While he hasn't shown recent form, he did run that indoor mile world world record at the beginning of the year. And he is a Bowerman Track Club, uh, sorry, an Oregon Project athlete who would have been getting all of Salazar's magic. Now, he doesn't have his coach to help him with strategy. So that'll be interesting. But going second and third with Ethiopia, I do think Borrega could easily, if he races, sub out one of those two, but I'm not going to pick him on the podium. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to go Cheptegi, Gibrewet, Lamong. <laughs> I'm going to see red, white, and blue. Wow. All right. Bowerman okay. Track Club's going to have a. Big so day. here's a question. So if if Lopez gets on the podium, it's going to require a massive PR for him in the 10K, right? Would you would you assume that that's true? Right. Because my guess is this will not be a slow pace. So he's going to have to run a massive PR to hang with these. He is, as we know, on form, and he has a strong kick, as we saw on the USA's in the 5K. So I do think he could sneak in there. I do think that's possible. But... I'm going to say not quite yet because he's still learning the 10K, in my opinion. I think he might have a a better chance when we come back around for the Olympics next year, having a little more 10K experience under his belt, and hopefully by then a much faster 10K PR. So he's 
more comfortable with a, a long, hard 10K versus a sit kick 10K, which is primarily what he's been running. So there you go. I do think he'll be the first American. but And I would yeah, love it if he made the podium. That would be a great story. But, but we will see. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of exciting. It's, it's kind of an unknown for him because he hasn't really he hasn't raced you know internationally in the 10k on the track so uh there's a lot of question marks and no matter what happens it is a great test run for the olympics next year as you said so yeah curious to see what he'll do yeah and there will be a question at that time about which event he'll do (laughs) as he he might have a shot in three potential events including the 15 5 and 10 so I think he wants to do the double. He wants, I interviewed him earlier. 5K, this 10K year, double? And he said he really wants to do the 5K, I think that's where his yeah. best chance lies. And I bet that's where Schumacher would push him. So that'd be fun to watch. And he can obviously, he's obviously shown he can make both teams, having done well at both at USA. So there you go. Those are our picks. We will be counting. I do think the nice thing is there's plenty of opportunity for me to, with some different options to, to potentially make up ground here. So. We will watch and see how this thing plays out. I would also encourage all of you to watch. You can check it on NBC Family of Channels and also on NBC Sports Gold, which I find the most reliable because sometimes with the timing of of events, the actual NBC public channel isn't always reliable in terms of getting the key things that you might want to see. So I would highly encourage checking it out on NBC Sports Gold. Yes, it's behind the paywall, but in my opinion, worth it because you can also go back and watch replays if needed. So watch, cheer, and I'm sure we'll be back on the other side with some sort of post, post-Worlds post recap. So thanks again, JoJo, yeah. for joining me. And, of course, go check out JoJo's feed and updates, live updates from FlowTrack at her Twitter handle at JoJo underscore Shay. And we'll have you back on soon, Jojo. Thanks again. Thanks for having me on. So there you go. Jojo and I talking about world champs. Hopefully I can overcome the two-point deficit to win this one and not get beaten by her twice in a row. But we will see. Tune in and follow the action along. And, of course, we'll have a recap on the other side. Thanks, as always, for listening. And if you're interested, check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.